Hey, you're here and you're in the right place. It's Bills by the Numbers, and we're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, should the high-efficiency offense the Bills put on display in Week 2 be the model going forward, or is it too restrictive on Josh Allen's talents? We discuss. PFF's Brad Spielberger weighs in on the kind of offensive football that wins in the postseason, and Steve will be quizzed on Bills QB statistical history. Sound the bell! All right, glad to have you here with us on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills insider Chris Brown with you as always. And it was an interesting approach we witnessed by Buffalo's offense against the Raiders in Week 2. It was the high-efficiency model rooted in short to intermediate passing and an effective rushing attack that helped to keep the team both unpredictable and out of long, down, and distance. There were some elements of that in Week 1, short, efficient passing game, but Steve... Out of 13 third-down plays against the Raiders, the Bills' offense faced more than third and five only five times, and they converted three of those third and longs anyway. Their conversion rate last Sunday on third down, 54%, 4% higher than their season average last season, which led the league, oh, by the way. How much of this high rate of efficiency do you attribute to the Bills, and how much do you attribute to, to their opponent which may be lucky to win four games this season. Yeah, I, I, maybe a coin flip. Uh, certainly the Bills are on a self-correct course, and the Raiders helped them be successful in that and feel good about what they were doing. And, and as we've seen with Buffalo, if having success breeds a calmer, more patient Josh Allen. And that's really what led into it, I think, uh, the fact that they came in with that mindset but were able to execute it early and get it done and stay mm-hmm. on the field really helped. Now, even though, too, they came out in that first series of the game, went three and out after the, the Raiders went bang, bang, five plays, 75 yards, touchdown, and the Bills came out and went one, two, three and out. There was a moment of angst there for everybody on the Bills' sideline, but they came out, continued to execute, and overcame it. Uh, that was the point, albeit in the second possession of the game, yeah. was the low point before they came out on that field. Uh, from there on, it was, it was, it was the, the success rate was what you said it was. And I'm, so when you think, was it the Bills or was it the Raiders? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a coin flip. It's probably both. Yeah. The answer is probably both. To, you know, you can assign whatever percentages you want. I just thought it was interesting through the course of the week, leading up to that game, we were talking on our daily show, One Bills Live, about risk management and how Josh had to be better at that. We heard Ken Dorsey, the offensive coordinator, talk about being smart but not conservative. And while Josh did make some heady decisions in terms of reducing risk, there were still some times where he threw it into some dangerous areas. Fourth and goal at the two-yard line. He throws back across the field to Gabe Davis, who's sitting in a sea of Raiders and somehow comes out with it with three three defenders around him. Fortunate. Fortunate. Um I think (laughs) on that play, but you know, that's part of the yin yang that you deal with, with Josh Allen, because he is going to sometimes make those spectacular low percentage plays for most, most for him. Maybe it's a little bit of a higher percentage, what you don't want. And he said this after the game, you know, I'm trying to give my guy a chance to make a play. And Sean McDermott also said, Hey, 
He's got to trust the guys around him. Well, that's implicit trust there. Throwing him a 6-2 Gabe Davis with three defenders around him on fourth and goal at the two. I mean, you want to at least come away with three points on a field goal there. But I almost feel like because McDermott took a timeout when he was originally going to put the kicking unit on the field and then said, you know what, we will go for it and try to put this thing thing to bed. I almost feel like Josh feels, well, now he's trusted me to make a play here. I I want to stick it in the end zone. And here's the thing. Fourth down is different than third down. They they can't go for a field goal on fourth down after fourth down. There's no fourth down. (laughs) You got him. And it's so I don't have a problem trying it because if they you got to trust that even if they catch it, you can tackle the guy. And the worst possible scenario is they come out to the 20 yard line. If he, if he catches it outside the end zone, you tackle him, and presto change, it's still a long field for your opponent. Yes. So that on a fourth down, it's different than third down. You can try something on fourth down, uh, knowing that the results, you know, I, the worst possible, obviously, is a 108-yard pick six. Well, yeah. The, even in that situation, the odds are very low that that's going to happen against you. So you really want to roll the dice in that same Fourth down, you kind of got to make a play and put the ball up there. Josh did it. Gabe Davis made the play, and it, the touchdown resulted. Actually, was the, it was the put-away right. touchdown. I mean, he did lead the league in red zone turnovers last year, so I think they're mindful of that as well. It just That play worked out, fortunately, for Buffalo. Do you feel this was just a get-Josh-Allen-back-on-track approach for Buffalo's offense, or do you believe they uncovered something where they say, you know what, this might be a sustainable winning model going forward well I don't I I think the coaching staff put in a game plan they thought was going to work against the Raiders and they trusted Josh to execute it I don't think they went in there thinking hey let's put a game plan in for Josh Uh, every game plan is for Josh Uh, even the one in the Jets game they expected Josh to be in the right mindset and they put the game plan in that they would have put in had Josh had played well in New York so uh, I don't think they're trying to fix Josh with the game plan they're fixing Josh with the coaching and the and the conversations between the games during the on the Monday through Saturday conversations in the in their coaching points in the film study and that kind of thing that's where they're trying to fix and this game plan was put in because it was specific to the Raiders and it's not all that different from a lot of game plans around the National Football League at this point in history everybody is playing that two shell keep a lid on everything, make them go the long way. They're doing it to Miami. They're doing it to Buffalo. They're doing it to, you know, they were going to do, the Bills did it to the Jets. They, that's the way, the modus operandi of defenses in the NFL right now. Trust your pass rush to get home and keep everything in front of you. And the Bills proved, at least against the Raiders, that they could execute that game plan and score 38 points. I will remind everybody, this, is, this was a Raiders defense that has been last in the league in takeaways over the last three years, cumulatively. They were last in the league last year. They have no takeaways through two games this year. I think that's something that's worth noting. I don't think that every week is going to look as efficient as the Week 2 performance. I think they're striving for that efficiency, And you would hope the success they had in Week 2 would reinforce to Josh and the rest of the players on the offense, and maybe to a certain degree offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey, that we can win that way if Josh is in the right mindset, as he was last week, and the guys around him are coming through for him. 
which I think on the whole, everybody did. The drops were minimal. You know, decisions were good. Run after catch was there. And again, they are playing a Raiders defense that, in my eyes, is substandard. But I think that can go a long way towards developing the identity of what Buffalo's offense should be going forward, including a run game that offers some balance and unpredictability to what they are from week to week. I'm not sure we can lump the effectiveness of the run game in with the efficient passing game in terms of a style of play per se. Does it matter what style of passing game you have, Steve, if you can run it as effectively as the Bills did in week two? Um, no, I, I think it – no, I think you can dictate more what your passing game – what you want your passing game to be when you can run the ball the way the Bills did. Right? No question yeah. about it. Um, I think even when the Bills were running it, let's face it, even when the Bills were started to run it and run it effectively, the Raiders wouldn't come out of that too high shell. So you're, you're going to have to – catch them when they gamble and come out of that and go single high safety, you're going to have to catch them in that gamble and then go deep. Um, most plays, calls in the NFL, even in the passing game, when you got a short passing game, you send a guy through the middle of the defense to try and keep him honest. When Josh is in the pocket, and you'll feel it as well, when he – stands in the pocket and holds it for an extra amount of time because he knows he's got the protection. <coughs> Excuse me. The defense is really stressed. Mm. And as the back as that lid gets higher and higher off of it, there's more and more room in there and that stresses the defense. So with a guy like Josh and his ability to run around, roll right or left, hold on to the ball, that passing game becomes more effective and becomes deeper and deeper as the play develops further and right. further. So even if you call a short play with today's NFL, somebody's going. Somebody's taking the lid off and or holding the safe, to, or anyway. trying to. Uh, and so, you, even if you have a short passing play called, and your number one option is a you know five yard crossing route, the longer Josh has to to stand in there because of a play action fake, or because of all of this other stuff with the running game gives you, the more stressed the defense becomes. So yeah, I it the running game. Helps your passing game, no question about it. I don't know that you need to use it as a a reason to go deep or an availability to go deep. If it, if you run it well, you're going to get more safeties down in the box. Right. That Even with the way they ran it last week, that didn't happen all that much. Right. And the other thing, too, is at the end of that game, 37 pass attempts, 35 runs, that's not going to happen – many weeks either this is still right. a passing team and for and for understandable reasons and you know last in week one against the Jets they couldn't run it 35 times because they weren't running as effectively against that front it's a really good run front and they may experience the same against Washington this week with a run front that has four first round picks up there so you can bet that if the Bills get up by double digits it will be a 50-50 run pass they were up 21 points, and then right. went up 28 points with four minutes to go. Shorten the game. You're, yeah. It becomes a, a clock tool rather than a weapon to run the football. The mm -hmm. clock becomes your weapon, and the running game runs it, runs the clock. You saw Steph Diggs catch a, catch a hitch route or catch a, a route and then break to the sidelines and stay in bounds, and there were nine minutes left in the game. I mean, that's just an understanding of what they're trying to do. So yeah. the only time – 
you would love to see the Bills run it because it's a symptom of them having a big league and trying to shorten the game. That's the reason they had 35 runs and 37 passes. It's usually going to be – it will usually be 55 passes and 20 runs. Yeah. We'll see. We might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves with this question, but, hey, that's what we do. We project and prognosticate here. Should this high-efficiency model – be used in the playoffs against higher caliber defenses to get Buffalo over the playoff hump. Sure. That's what you again a high caliber defense, it takes that approach. That approach. Your chunk plays happen when something else ha- when a mistake happens or a misstep. When a guy when a defender misses a tackle and your guy and you know Kincaid or or Diggs or Gabe Davis snaps off a big run. Those are your explosive plays. Mm-hmm. Um, that's against a high-caliber defense. That's what you're going to have to do. That's what's going to happen against this Washington team this year, this week, I think, in fact. They're going to come out. Their pressure's going to be there. Josh is going to have to get rid of the ball quick, which means he's going to have to throw it before the receivers can get very deep. So it's going to be a short passing yep. game, very efficient. It's going to be more of this. Um, it'll be interesting to see if the running game can be as effective earlier in the early in the game like it was against the yeah. Raiders instead of waiting to just run out the clock. Right. And I'm I'm a proponent of the high efficiency model when you're going against big time strong defensive units. Later in the season they have Dallas. They have Philadelphia. So these are defenses where this high efficiency model is going to have to be put into practice because if you want to back off a pass rush where they've got your O-line outmanned, out talented, outgunned, whatever phrase you want to use, you have to use the high-efficiency short passing game to neutralize the rush. That's the best way to do it. Joe Burrow did it. Patrick Mahomes did it. They went a lot further in the playoffs than the Bills using it. The Bills have to adopt that wholeheartedly, and the fact that it's already started in Week 2 has me encouraged. Now I want to see more evidence of it going forward. Maybe it continues this week against a good Washington front. If you have a lesser defense, okay, maybe you change things up a bit, but the high-efficiency model is proven effective against some of the best defenses in football. Look no further than Mahomes against the Eagles, the number one defense in football in sacks last year. They beat they hung 38 points on them playing that high-efficiency model. It is proven effective. All right, we take this subject now and expand it with pro football focus NFL analyst Brad Spielberger, who joins us here on Bills by the Numbers. All right, Brad, so we see this high-efficiency offensive model from the Bills in Week 2. Do you think it should be the model going forward, or might it be too restrictive for the talents of Josh Allen? I think particularly in this Week 3 matchup with the Washington Commanders, it makes a whole lot of sense. You're talking about a defensive line that was dominant. They did give up a lot of points against the Denver Broncos, but all four guys had five-plus quarterback pressures. I want to say they had three total or four total sacks between the entire unit, and the secondary is young, is a little bit exploitable. Uh, I think it would be smart to still you know, attack the intermediate areas, some play action where Allen's 13 of 15 so far on the season with a touchdown. I think it makes sense, at least for next week. All right, now let's talk long game with that respective model because we've seen Kansas City go all the way and win a Super Bowl with a model of that type. We saw Joe Burrow go further after he got tired of getting sacked 60 times a year, going to a short, get-the-ball-out-quick type model with Zach Taylor. So is it logical to think, if the Bills are efficient enough, that they can do the same 
with that kind of a model. Yeah, yeah, you know, I really think it is. Obviously, you don't want to completely take away the explosive nature of Josh Allen's play. You know, those deep shots, his arm talent and ability, a rare, 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 you know, conversation of guys that can do what he does. You don't want to totally strip that away. But in today's NFL, where we're seeing more defenses play too high coverage, really sit back and, and beg offenses to throw underneath. I mean, you mentioned the Bengals, obviously some weather as well. But that playoff game last year, Lou Anarumo's defense in Cincinnati played a lot of drop eight and just said, hey, Josh, beat us in the intermediate areas, throw short, take the check down. And he, and he kind of struggled to do that at times. I think it's why you're bringing a Deontay Hardy. I think James Cook has looked much better this year. I think, you know, Dalton Kincaid, like you've also added ways to win in that way, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. Another element that we saw was more effective running in the red zone. And this is part of the reason why they went out and got Damian Harris and Latavius Murray in free agency. You know, the so-called straight ahead hammers as opposed to James Cook, who's obviously more diverse. So, you know, you, this was a team that had trouble running in the red zone, and that's why they'd hand it to Josh Allen when it came down to goal-to-go situations, and they still finished ninth in red zone efficiency last year. They're tied for seventh here in the early going. They go five of seven in the red zone last week, four of five in goal-to-go situations, and very effective running it down there, and they weren't having Josh do the running. Huge. It's a massive piece of this offense. He obviously still could probably take a few less hits between the 20s as well, uh, you know, based on his first two weeks thus far. But, but yeah, you want to protect him in that area. You also just want to have that threat because you probably now can use some read option, you know, or zone read and do different things with Josh Allen and those running backs down near the goal line. But yeah, as good as Cook has looked, you want him to run outside the tackles. When you want to run between the tackles, bringing those guys, those veterans in, it makes a lot of sense. It helps this offense and converting in the red zone. Again, as we're talking about matriculating down the field and sustaining drives as opposed to explosives, you need that high red zone efficiency. And then finally, with respect to Josh and another diversification we've seen more and more of in each of the first two weeks, Ken Dorsey putting him under center more than we've seen in the past. Obviously, there are advantages to that in terms of creating space behind the linebackers off play action, where linebackers really bite on that stuff. Last year, there were, I can't tell you how many times Josh would be in the shotgun, fake the give on a mesh point to the, the running back standing next to him, and no linebacker would take more than a half a step towards the line of scrimmage. This seems to be a much more effective means by which to exploit the middle of the field, which, as we know, was a major problem for them, particularly in the second half of the season last year. What are these early signs telling you? Could we see more under center going forward? Yes, but you mentioned the you know the second level defenders, those off ball linebackers, not uh, biting as much you know last year, maybe doing more so, which obviously then opens up throwing windows. I also think, you know, I brought up the play action stat. You look at those snaps. Uh, you know, edge defenders are also going to have to actually you know bite down on the run action more often. I think in the past they also just stayed where they were, kind of maintained the edge, were a quarterback spy, and didn't even really you know respect the threat of the handoff. So that again helps things open up if you have. James Cook go into the flat off of that action. Maybe the edge defender is pulled in a little bit and just enough to spring him. I think it all just opens up other aspects of the offense. It's been good to see. I mean, there are some teams that that run 85, 90% in shotgun. That's fine, but just doing enough to make it effective and enough of a threat where defenses respect it, I think goes a long way. Brad, thanks for the time. As always, we'll catch up with you down the line here in the regular season. Sounds great. Thank you. 
Hey, Bills fans, get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Just download the app today to play any way you want. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings fast. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the Buffalo Bills. We move to the numbers game where Steve will be quizzed on the highest rated passing seasons in Bills history. Efficiency has its merits, Steve. And we'll see which Bills quarterbacks were best in this area. Are you ready? Let's go. Question number one. How many different quarterback names do you believe there are <laughs> on the Bills' top 10 single season passer rating list? Four. You're very close, Steve. The answer is five. Five names on the top 10 list. That was a good guess. Question number two. You can probably guess the top two single-season passer rating quarterbacks in Bills history. Yeah, Jim and Josh. Right. But can you name the quarterback with the third highest passer rating season in Bills annals? Jack Kemp. It is not Jack Kemp. I'll give you one or two more other stats at it. Hold on. Okay, let's go. Nah, Bledsoe. Not Drew Bledsoe. Tyrod. Bingo, Steve. Yeah. Tyrod Taylor in 2015 with a passer rating of 99.4. Thank you. How about it? All right. Huh. All right, question number three. You've named three of the five quarterbacks on the Bills' top ten list for highest single-season passer rating. Can you name the remaining two? So there's five names in the top ten. Obviously, Jim and Josh have multiple seasons. So, too, does Tyrod, by the way. Right. But there are two other names on that list that had one of the top ten passer rating seasons in Bill's history. Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's an ixnay on Fitzmagic. Okay. Too many picks. No, too many do. picks. Thank Killed you. the rating. Took a shot. Um, wow. I will say... Oh, it could be, got to be maybe Flutie. It is not Flutie, no. Rob Johnson? No, again. <laughs> All right, now I'm running out of names. Um, These are drought-era oh. quarterbacks. Oh, they are? Yes. Oh. Okay, I was about ready to say Joe Ferguson. But no. Okay. Uh, I will say drought. Wow, drought quarterbacks, that's hard for me. JP. No, it's definitely not JP. My God. Hey, I don't know. <laughs> uh, no offense to JP, but. J- I don't even remember who. Not Fitz, Tyrod, JP. Think of a one year wonder. Oh, uh. Oh, now I'm not. I'll never remember his name. What? Who? Who is the guy? I can't remember his name. The quarterback uh, that we got from not Rickness, like Rex Grossman, but um, who is it? He know. did once play for the Bears like yeah, Rex Grossman. Yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> I can't give you a correct answer for that's the guy. I, the guy that played for the Bears, <laughs> that played for the Bills, had one had one season with us. That's right. Um, Would initials help? Yeah. K.O. Kyle Orton. There you go. 
The other one was Trent Edwards in 2008. Oh, okay. Steve. Yeah, all right. He was efficient. Didn't really get a lot done, but he was efficient. Yeah. Question four, the final question, Steve. There is a tie between two quarterbacks who both have three different seasons that appear on the single-season passer rating leaders list for the Bills. Who do you believe those two quarterbacks to be? Three, three? different seasons in the yeah in the top top ten. Jim and Josh. Josh is correct. The Jim, other one, Jim only had two. All right. How about then? The other one's got to be what? Tyrod. It is Tyrod Taylor. Three of the top ten passer rating single. It's season. amazing. He didn't turn the ball over. Right. That's he, why he, he had a high passer over, rating. And he wouldn't cut it loose. That is correct. He would just hang on to it, and you know what I mean. He would run, run. He'd either run or you know whatever. He wouldn't turn it over, and he would just take off and run. He never threw it in danger. It's pretty amazing. You could be a high. That's why. That's why ESPN came up with the QBR number because. And again, no offense to Tyrod, the guy helped break the drought here, but he's a high-rated quarterback for all the wrong reasons. That's right. And so the QBR metric that ESPN developed tried to counteract that and make a more accurate metric for quarterback play. Because Tyrod totally circumnavigated it. That's right. By running around and that's right. Throwing one touchdown a game. He'd throw one touchdown, no turnovers, <laughs> and he'd be like what? He'd be like 14 of 18 or something. You yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. Like they'd throw it like 18 times. It was like it was like a young Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, you know. Every year was like a rookie year. Yeah, he'd be in like in terms of how many yeah. times he'd be allowed to pass. You would, he, Ben Roethlisberger. It seemed like I remember that. I, I'm just I may be. He had like 22 but, attempts a game. Yeah, he was winning games with like 17 attempts. Well, they had the Jerome number one Bettis, rushing offense. They had Jerome in Bettis. They had the number one sack defense in the football, and they had Jerome Bettis in the yeah. and number one running offense. That helps. So he was just, and then two or three of his completions were explosive plays because he'd run around and chuck it down the chuck field. it down the field to a guy standing by yeah. himself. All right, pretty good job in the numbers game there, Steve. Since we are sponsored by FanDuel, it's time for our high-low picks of the week. High-low is the free game to play at FanDuel.com for a chance at $10,000 in total prizes. Pick the highest and lowest performing players and teams across various stat categories. The closer you are to actual results, the more points you get, and more points means a chance at a bigger prize. Steve, kick us off this week. I think you've got, what, the high for passing yards here? the high for passing yards. I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings against the L.A. Chargers. Um, Kirk Cousins is going to sling it. I think that's a team that... Is going to struggle to run it, and I think the Chargers are going to force them to score some points. So I think the Minnesota Vikings are going to sling. Chargers it. haven't been stopping anybody lately either. Right. All right. Low for passing yards. It's hard not to feel bad for the guy, but Justin Fields looks like a lost puppy, and he's not getting much help. He and the Bears have to go into Kansas City to face the Chiefs' defense that has Chris Jones back, as we know. It's a recipe for disaster. So yeah. Bears low for passing yards. High for rushing yards. Give me Tony Pollard and the Dallas Cowboys against the Arizona Cardinals. Oof. They're going to run through them like the Cardinals are sparrows rather than Cardinals. I'm, they're gonna... Are Cardinals fe- that much fiercer than sparrows? I don't know. They're bigger. <laughs> Tony Pollard is going to ring them up. I'm telling you. They are a little bit bigger than a sparrow. You are correct. Uh, I'm going with the exact same game, except I've got James Conner on the Arizona side for the low for rushing yards. I can't see him having a lot of success against that Cowboys defensive front. They're a top-ten run defense, 
and the Cardinals are likely to be in a lot of long down and distance situations. So James Conner on the low. And for high in receiving yards, I'm going back to the Vikings-LA Chargers game. Justin Jefferson, um, Chargers defense is struggling, particularly against high-caliber guy like Justin Jefferson. I think he's going to be the focal point of the game plan. I think the Chargers offense will do just enough to keep the Vikings' foot on the gas. Mm. And I think Justin Jefferson's going to reap the benefits. Like that. Low for receiving yards. I'm taking DJ Moore from the Bears. Based on one of my previous explanations, I just don't see the Chicago passing game doing much in general out there at Arrowhead, even for their top wideout. So DJ Moore on the low end this week. Our closing figure this week deals with completion percentage, which, as we know, points to offensive efficiency. Through the first two weeks of the season, the Bills are number one in the league in completion percentage, Steve, as Josh Allen has completed 77% of his passes thus far. The team right behind them, the Baltimore Ravens, as Lamar Jackson has been getting rave reviews for his improved passing efficiency as well. He's completing 74.5% of his passes. Look out for those Ravens. I think they're going to be sneaky good this year. That's it for us this week. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when our next episode is ready for you. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Number. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week, everybody. Everybody.